The following podcast contains explicit language. What's good, everybody? You are listening to the Post Bougie Podcast. I'm GD, Gene Demby, a reporter for NPR and the founder and proprietor of Post Bougie. I have some special guests with me today. I'm here with Yashanda Sanders, uh, who's a journalist and writer based here in D.C. Uh, she writes about pop culture. What's good, Yashanda? Happy birthday. Ah, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> and Bilal Qureshi is a producer at NPR um, who focuses on film. What's up, B? Hey, Gene. What's up? So we're here to talk about Selma. The new film by Ava DuVernay uh, about this pivotal moment in the civil rights movement um, has been getting a lot of great reviews and also has been coming in for a lot of criticism um, around its historical accuracy. Um, so we were going to have a conversation. I, we were just having a really dope conversation off mic. I wanted to get your opinion on the movie itself, uh, its contemporary resonances, which are very easy to see, uh, and this very uh, odd moment that Ava DuVernay finds herself in uh, as a black woman who might, may or may not win an Oscar uh, in a couple of weeks. Yashana, what did you think of Selma? Uh, I liked it. I thought it was beautiful, um, uh, which we talked a little bit about earlier. Mm. Um, I thought the way that people were shot was really lovely. Um, you know, I uh, I was shocked by the portrayal of uh, the four little girls. You're talking about the the bombing yeah. at the 16th Street Baptist Church. Yeah, that. I mean, I, I thought the way that 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 played out was really um, uh, jarring in the way that you would. It's just difficult to get that balance in terms of making um, sort of recreating something in a dramatic way, but also um, bringing the audience into something that's so devastating without being sort of tried and overdone, much like uh, Martin Luther King's relationship with Coretta Scott King, which, um, you know, I think especially as as it relates to FBI surveillance, you know, that's another story that we all really know, but um, we're not really sure um, in terms of how Martin Luther King is normally portrayed, um, you know, we have a tendency to sort of move away from that story. Um, and and because uh, it's not it's not as sanitized as we'd like it to be generally. And so um, I feel like uh, Ava DuVernay did a great job of uh, humanizing their relationship um, because they're this iconic couple. And, and yet they have this challenging, tense situation that's sort of been, you know, inserted into their relationship. Um, and so we get to see how that plays out. And I think that that does a lot to humanize um, both Dr. Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King. Mm-hmm. So B, you saw before a lot of people saw it, right? What did you think of the film and sort of what do you think of the response to it? Um, I think what is so fantastic about it actually is the way that it's made and the way that it's not a traditional historical biopic Thank or God, a big yes. kind of like grand and lumbering sort of like movie with with swelling music and and text on the screen that says you know this is what's happening and this is 1936 and this is 1942 and that kind of rhythm it takes a very different approach and i think you brought up the bombing um, and the death of the four little girls at the beginning of the film that's also very interesting because the opening of the movie is dr king getting his nobel peace prize outside of the u.s Mm -hmm. and he's being celebrated and commemorated by an international community and at that very and you know right after that she cuts to something that didn't happen actually at that time or right after but she cuts to the bombing Mm. so you get a sense that like here's a man who's standing on a world stage to represent this issue of justice but back home this is still happening so i think starting the movie that way Mm. puts you in a really interesting place Mm. and that sets up all that you need to know for why we're going to spend the next two hours looking specifically at one protest event and i think that's what made it really interesting she chose to zero in on this march and this particular 
campaign as a way to say many bigger things. But I liked that about it. It was engaging in that way. And I think, you know, Jean, you've talked a lot about sort of loving her previous film, Middle of Nowhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ava DuVernay is a great um, observer of people's personal relationships, Absolutely, of the relationships yeah. between men and women. And so in that opening scene, right before the Nobel Peace speech, Peace Prize speech, Coretta Scott King is tying Martin Luther King's tie. And they're talking about sort of wanting to get away and have a house and just sort of be with each other. And it's so kind of intimate and personal and you forget that you're watching Dr. Martin Luther right. King and Coretta Scott King. You're right. watching two people in love with each other in a relationship that is under much bigger um, spotlight. So I think that that way that she's able to both capture the intimate and the grand is something that makes the movie great. So I think the controversy, I, I, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about that because it seems to me, I bring that up to say I feel like those are things that I observed and it seems other people are more focused on some other things in the movie uh, that have raised ire. So that's a different conversation. Right. I mean, I, I want to get to that too, but I, I think you know one of the reasons I loved Middle of Nowhere was that it seems so well observed, right? It's, it's about this woman sort of dealing with the fact that her husband is in prison and sort mm. of the the way it erodes the edges of her life, right? Ava DuVernay is really good at sort of making black people human scale, which is, I think, a thing that we don't see a whole lot of, right? Um, it's usually black people against either historical backdrops or black people, like, um, living uh, at the, you know, on the business end of these horrible social forces, right? But it's never just, like, black people having lives, right? And, like, and like lives that are about these specific things, right? Yes. Um so, like, you know, that moment at the beginning, like, yes. in a couple other moments in the movies, we, we get a sense of the kings having a marriage with regular marriage problems right. or regular marriage flaws and regular marriage sort of, marriage sort of um, issues, right? That is complicated by all this bigger shit that's happening around it. Right. I, 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 oh, it's my podcast. Don't censor yourself. It's complicated by all this, you know, yeah, yeah. larger <laughs> shit that's happening around it. And mm-hmm. to your point, like, there were a couple times in the movie when you just forget that it's Martin Luther King, you just think, here's this guy mm-hmm. who has real flaws, right? I mean, he's not beatified. He's not the post-assassination Martin Luther King, right? He is the Martin Luther King as... He might have plausibly been experienced by both his allies and both the people in the movement who might not have been feeling him that much. It's interesting because one of the things that I thought about right after I saw it was that you can tell that Ava DuVernay loves us, you know, like mm-hmm. as a people, just based on that intimacy that you that you um, put so well. I think in terms of um, because we you, it's very rare that you see black people in intimate um, in intimate circumstances um, or with that kind of intimacy where it's, like you said, it's sort of ground level human to human interaction where it's just granular and it's not about these larger social forces or what, you know, it's not um, connected to any, you know, other, you know, um, uh, just sort of distracting grander. It doesn't have to be a grand, you know, connected experience. It's really just about these two people who are in love with each other which is in black love and black relationships is a whole nother podcast i'm sure but um (laughs) but yeah i mean it's one of the things that um i think makes the the film so striking i think the other thing that struck me a lot is you know to contrast the love and the warmth that you're describing i mean the movie is also very violent and that's something that i actually did not anticipate until i saw it because i feel which is funny considering you know what we know what it's about right right, exactly we know that but i think part of it's also the way that we've seen the civil rights movement i mean i was thinking about that in terms of 
the statue that we have of Martin Luther King in Washington、mm-hmm. now on you know on the Potomac. It's like his arms are crossed. It's very meditative. It's 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 very assertive and it's very kind of achieved. Like it's very accomplished and、mm-hmm. and there's a kind of going to it to pay tribute.、Um, and I think I had also forgotten from the documentaries that we see, the historical books that we read, that you know we're looking at a movement that was violent that involved people's bodies being beaten and in in the case in on the bridge in the film in one sequence we have somebody whipping. A person running down the bridge. I mean, the imagery in it is very harsh, and the way that she shoots that is her camera slows, the sound slows, and you get to observe every incident of the violence these people were facing. And I found that to also be、uh, quite renegade in a way. That she has treated a historical subject that we've tended to look at in a very kind of clean lines、right. sort of way, and I and I think that's something that so so it was warm and 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 inviting, and you got to know these people、mm-hmm. as you just said, and then you get to see the actual violence and brutality that they're dealing with in、mm-hmm. the way she shoots the film, and that also made it, I think, a really interesting film compared to what we're used to seeing. The moment on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Or the moment when uh, one, uh, several people die.、Um, those moments seem like tragedies, right? They don't seem sort of like、uh, like footnotes. They seem really horrific, right? Because the rest of the movie is so quiet, and you have these paroxysms of like gruesome violence. Especially because when you talk about all the stories that we've heard and seen about civil rights, they're all pretty distant. And so、yeah. to have you know something that's so close up, and also to have sort of a really good、um, balance in terms of that、um, uh, violence versus intimacy, it's it's actually really true to life. So it feels really genuine and authentic as a as a viewer. I think.、Mm-hmm. Right. So the movie ends on a song by Common, who is in the movie.、Um, stop putting Common in movies. <laughs> Common and John Legend. <laughs> Common, yeah, Common and John Legend. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a solo. It's a, <laughs> right, right. Common and John, Common does not blink in movies.、Uh, he does not. You know what I mean? He just like stares straight、so、ahead. Yeah, if, if y'all gonna cast him, get him to blink. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I know some of my friends are very fond of Common's、uh, Common aesthetically.、Um, let's say that.、Uh, but I like his freckles. <laughs> but he, you know, he's a monotone. You know what I mean? He doesn't really blink.、Um, but at the end of the movie, there's a there's a Uh, a song with him and John Legend, as you point out,、um, that alludes to Ferguson, alludes to basically the events of the last year,、um, and it's sort of hard not to see that right in this film.、Um, is in and I don't, and I actually don't think it was that heavy-handed until you know until we hear the comments on the end. I don't think it's that heavy-handed. I mean, there were parts of the movie that I thought, and I don't know how you do, I don't know how anyone does this, like how you get around exposition, right? Like how you get around sort of explaining the nuts and bolts of things without it seeming heavy-handed. And I thought they did a really, I thought Ava DuVernay did a pretty good job. Sort of laying out sort of why voting rights was so tricky. I mean, what like like on a almost like as a as a, on a policy level, right? Some of the conversations about how to deal with this problem seemed like real conversations.、Um, but there were other parts of it,、um, like the beginning when Martin Luther King is sort of、uh, wagging his finger at LBJ. That seemed a little on the nose, like, you know. Like I mean, it seems like a little little.、Oh, Little, it seemed like a little bit too much, like set up. When I think, to be honest with you, the controversy about the movie, which we've kind of alluded to earlier,、sure, yeah. which has to do with whether LBJ is shown as an enemy of the of the Voting Rights Act and somebody who had to be convinced to turn his position, which was very、um, resistant to this act by Dr. King by、mm-hmm. Selma. And people take issue with that. That historically that was not true.、Right. That there wasn't that kind of finger wagging. That it was actually much more of a collaborative relationship between these two men, and that this strategy was decided upon together. I mean, you could argue that 
the thing that people are blaming the film for, which is the historical inaccuracy of that relationship, was something that she might have just used as shorthand to do exactly what you said, right. which mm-hmm. is like set you up very early to the idea that even if it wasn't specifically LBJ, there was a lot of back and forth and battling going on about the right way to do this and to push this issue. Right. And they become kind of the shorthand in a mm. in cinematic language to make that happen. Right. Yeah. And and that is true. Like, it opens with that. I mean, you know, you go from the Nobel Peace Prize ceremony to the bombing right into LBJ's office, and then it's like, we got to do something. And he's like, I can't do it. You've right. got a one problem. I've got a thousand and one problems. <laughs> right, right. You know, and so then that sort of sets you up for the tension. But there, I think, is where the historical criticism comes in, is that... Um, is that you know that that relationship is used that way in a way that serves the narrative well, but does it actually serve the history well? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think in some of it too. When you talk about exposition, it makes me think about framing. And so we were talking a little bit about the framework of um, the critique of the film and the critique specifically of that fact-checking piece. And I think part of the historical popular culture moment that we find ourselves in is that because there aren't many Black women filmmakers. Um, to have a creative black woman who has ownership of the frame for this particular story, I think lends itself to a kind of, I call it mansplaining. Um, mm. It's real. I feel like it's really annoying, you know, because it's like she can't possibly be the last authority on this. Like she, you know, it's like she created it. It's not, you know, she created it. She developed it. She's, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's her story. It's her version of the story. And so I feel like instead of, people being authentic and genuine saying I have a problem with this black woman not censoring LBJ in the story I'm going to talk about how it's historically inaccurate Mm -hmm. which is like not really I think one of the most important things about the film I I think the thing I I would say is I mean I feel like with the criticism of the movie which I think people have a right and should be free to express their opinion about the things that they see and I think that what concerns me more is that there's not equal opportunity criticism because the problem is that not only Selma, the movie Foxcatcher, which is one of the big award-nominated kind of like discussed movies right. about With this Steve wrestler Carell and, and Steve Carell, yeah. like mm-hmm. the main person who's portrayed in the film by Channing Tatum is like on a Twitter rant against the director that I'm going to get you for like telling my life story wrong. Right. The imitation game about Alan Turing is basically is basically all apparently inaccurate according to all the British people who've been writing about Alan Turing for generations. Mm-hmm. So you have like several major films that have come out that are in the public discussion right now that are on the nomination kind of front Mm -hmm. that all have major historical questions that they raise. And I think the the critiques that I have found most interesting have looked at all these movies in an equal opportunity way and discussed the broader question, which I think is an interesting one. Do films have responsibility to be historically accurate, mm-hmm. um, which I think is one that can apply to movies beyond Selma. Sure, of course. Uh, and I think that the fact that, as you just said, like that there's a focus so much on Ava DuVernay and this film and LBJ, I think that says to me that we're still especially sensitive, obviously, about anything that deals with race and America's racial history in a way that we don't seem to get as fired up about other things that right. raise that question more broadly. Right. Uh, and I think one of the reasons, too, that people are mad is because Less and less people are like how many of I don't I haven't have to be very honest reading LBJ biographies and looking at, <laughs> yeah. and looking at the congressional testimony that went around the Voting Rights Act. I guess I should be. No, no, no. But the no, bigger it's... question is that people are using these movies increasingly as a lot of their primary access points to history. Right. I mean, and I think that's sort of the argument that people always make about biopics, right? Is that like they are a, pr- a primer 
on right. some some moment or somebody's life or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can argue whether that should be the case or whatever. But like, you yeah. know, I mean, to your point about all these other movies that are in the conversation, I mean, everyone takes liberties, right? I mean, if you're taking a biopic, you are necessarily slicing stuff out, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this isn't even neatly a biopic. It's sort of just a, a maybe it's like a historical drama is a better way to describe it. And this is something we've complained about before. Or I've, comp- or I've complained about before, sort of the way that absolution of white people was like a, a, a almost a, a predicate in all our conversations about race has to be have to be given up like oh you might not have any responsibility right so i mean there are obviously like white people who died in the civil rights movement right that's not a that's not a secret that's not a you know what i mean but right. but like the lbg i mean a couple yeah i mean a couple people die in this movie who are not not just black people right um well, and i feel like that's completely lost in the conversation it's like you have you know this broad array of people coming from all backgrounds who are standing on this bridge together mm-hmm. and these are some of the iconic shots that you see in the outtakes you know from from the movie both in terms of trailers and advertising but also just when people talk about the film when the, you know it's being reviewed you see these all these people standing together and so there's not even really this discussion about okay well, you know uh how was the movement portrayed you know what about snick and you know selc and martin luther king's relationship with them and sort of like you know this tenuous intergenerational issue mm. that's happening which you know is still happening which you wrote about which mm. wonderfully thank you she has to compliment you on your political article but you know it's i mean but it's still that like those are real granular like pressing timely issues that we could be discussing but let's instead talk about lbj right which i lived in texas for eight years <laughs> and like i love lbj like i lived in austin you know what i mean mm-hmm. i probably met mark up to grove like you know so it's just like it's no it's, it's no i'm not mad at them you know and i think constructive critique has its place sure but i feel like if the outcome of constructive critique is you know, I can do better next time. Then, you know, talk about how how do we flesh out, you know, these historical characters that um, that in a way that both analyzes what they actually achieved and did, um, and also says, well, you know, you could have done more. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I and I feel like whenever you have a, a an opportunity to talk about where specifically powerful white men in history have had an opportunity to do more, like everybody gets. Like sensitive, yeah, absolutely right? right. It's just like you can't, you just can't do it because we have a media system that is framed by white sure. men. So, you know, they're not really able to make room for the fact that like there's a black creative woman who has decided to not make this about him. It's right. about Selma, mm-hmm. right, and the people of Selma, which is not common, right. He's not portrayed as unsympathetically as many of the critiques I mean, seem to state. I mean, he, better you know, than Hoover, right? Absolutely, or, or George, George Wallace, Wallace right? right. <laughs> um, but you know, LBJ was a complicated dude. He was a dude who said nigger all the time, called yeah. black people niggers, and he's also like probably one of our great anti-racist presidents. You know what right. I mean? Those things are both true, right? You know what I mean? Right. Because people are fucking complicated, right? Um, but yeah, but I, and speaking, since we're talking about Ava DuVernay, I sort of want to talk about this moment. Ava DuVernay sort of inhabits this space right now that no black woman director has right i mean there's it's there i mean there aren't even that many you can name who've who've had like sort of mainstream um well not just as a black woman too but one of the biggest discussions has been just the lack of women filmmakers sure. i mean like there's only like less than five percent of working directors in hollywood are women in general right mm-hmm. so i think i mean the whole notion of 
of who is directing and who's getting to helm like a major studio film or mm. a major film that's getting released into multiplexes like that's a big achievement on its own right like where she is in the industry at the moment mm-hmm. and it's funny because you, you hear the names who like who were attached to this film before lee daniels i mean you could imagine the movies that you could imagine a movie that lee daniels would have made i, I don't actually like <laughs> shudder to think but like uh, <laughs> lee daniels would have made out of this right and it's almost like i don't know if it ended up in her lap accident like like well, I mean, because the, everyone st- the story is that um david oyelowo who plays martin luther king in the movie was cast by lee daniels in 2010 mm-hmm. and lee daniels left the film to work on Sel- to work on the butler left the film to work on the butler and david oyelowo then pushed for ava duvernay to get the film to be right. the director so it's, an, it's a story of like the actor who was attached who remained attached really campaigned on her behalf because she had never uh, directed anything at this scale right. or of this budget or with this kind of um, topic before. Mm. So that was a that's a pretty major you know opportunity that she also got to really prove that she is one of the great sort of working directors right now by being given an opportunity to do something that big because right. she would have probably just continued to make small intimate lovely films that Eugene loved mm-hmm. about sort of you know interesting black characters but <laughs> she wouldn't have been given a chance to make something that would get the history you know, right. community talking that would get DC talking that would get political observers talking mm-hmm. it is interesting that David Oyelowo sort of had to advocate for her to do that though like she wasn't like at the top of the list I think what would be more interesting what will be interesting to see what happens next right like if she is she able to sort of be attached to films because I mean we've heard this happen with actresses black actresses a lot it hasn't really changed their prospects right Viola Davis is on TV right now you know what I mean yeah. like the kind of the kind of she's not suddenly like in demand as an actress in like just your random your, like your standard issue Hollywood legal drama right you know Monique hasn't really worked since you know um, Jennifer Hudson hasn't been anything since right I mean it's not it's not it's not like a a thing that like opens a bunch of doors and I wonder what happens for Ava going forward if she suddenly is attached to things that are not, like you know just are bigger projects right one of the things that she said in the New York Times was you know I still have my day job right like <laughs> I'm still I'm still working a day job like right, I, right. I am this fabulous director but I also am I'm working mm-hmm. right and um, that's the she ultimate... directed an episode of Scandal last, last season actually yeah. yeah yeah and she made a fabulous video that was lovely um, but you know I mean you can you can do passion projects at some level for a long time as long as you have a day job. I just think my my bigger question is just like when we're going to start to see less historical films that deal with that, that deal with people of color only in a historical context. Sure. I mean, because yeah. I think the other thing is, it's wonderful for her that she's been giving this platform, but like, does she want to make another civil rights movie? Does she want to make a slavery movie? Right. Does she want to take it even further back to the like kidnapping in Africa? I don't know. You know, the question <laughs> yeah. is like, right. where where are we going to start? Is she going to just get to direct a movie about contemporary life that features a variety of characters? Unfortunately, the industry doesn't seem to see those movies as that commercially viable, and you kind of a little bit laughingly, which is fine, talked about beyond the lights i mean part of the challenge part of the challenge of that movie is that it's it's really like a very contemporary film Mm -hmm. to me when i saw beyond the lights what i think i liked the most about it was it felt of the moment in a way that you know like Nicki minaj's anaconda video had just come out so there was already this discussion of like black women and their bodies and the music industry Mm -hmm. and commercialism and all of this kind of stuff so it felt quite resonant and quite of the moment. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, that kind of movie, unfortunately, doesn't have an easy place 
in the way that we promote and cast black actors.、Mm-hmm. So I think you know the thing is I think we might pretty soon run out of like major historical f- <laughs> movements to do big <laughs> movies about. Like or maybe we won't. I mean, right, there's, right. there's other elements of the civil rights movement. Sure, there's lots of more campaigns you could see. I guess I just feel that like even if it's not super commercially viable or. You know, there's not that many projects that Hollywood is pushing for that she will make more movies about contemporary life. I hope so. I hope so too. That's what I'd love to see. I mean, I think that's a great point, and I. But I, you know, and I find it really interesting to think about why why Hollywood and why the entertainment industry is stuck. Putting sort of black life in these buckets, right? In terms of portrayal, so we're either in the past or in the present. We're like funny or tragic, you know. So I mean, it's just these are sort of. This has been the framework for a really long time, and I don't know. I think that it's a lot to anticipate that that she can be the game changer in that regard, especially、sure. when so much of our conversation is about historical accuracy, right? So we're still stuck in the past, and I and I wonder、mm. how much of that is about sort of the political. Anxiety in which we find ourselves as it relates to the president. I think it's easier, of course,、um, for everyone, I guess, to feel included in the conversation or、um, in in a creative、uh, sort of representation of our story, our American story,、um, if we talk about the past as opposed to talking about the future, like where we are in the present and where we're going in the future, which is. You know, more people of color, like、yeah. you know, less、uh, con- less controlled、um, representations of. Well, it's just interesting. Like in Beyond the Lights, the main struggle that the characters are confronting is not their race, is not evil white people that are keeping them back. It's actually、uh, just their own struggles as individuals. You know,、right. like being authentic to yourself, being you know real about what you want to do with your life, like getting over bad relationships. I mean, it's those kinds of questions that I think ultimately in a demographically Diverse country, people of color are grappling with too. Everybody's not out,、um, you know, grappling only with ma- major, big, meta questions. Although you could argue that right now, what's been happening in terms of protests, which makes, you know, Selma feel interestingly very. Um, very relevant and very timely and and very charged. I think that's actually a really interesting thing about when this movie is coming out. Sure. At the same time, I think those kinds of stories will also、um, hopefully continue to come up. I think the other question too is marketing and basically numbers、uh, and you know movies for them to survive and for them to get made. It's a business. People have to go see them. I mean, with a movie like Selma, I think it's also a lot easier to get intergenerational、mm-hmm. families together to、mm-hmm. say, let's、right. go to the movie theater to see this movie. Let's support this movie. I went to a screening. Here in DC, and there were flyers for church groups to be watching、mm-hmm. it together.、Mm-hmm. So you know you have to also, when you release something into the marketplace, recognize that you have the audience numbers and people who can go and buy a ticket and see it.、Mm-hmm. And I think for something like Beyond the Lights, that was the other challenge: is who really is the audience for that movie? Right. Are young urban audiences of all racial backgrounds enough to make a movie a success?、Mm-hmm. I think that's the other challenge too for the film industry: is is how to make these movies actually make money and and、yeah. be. Be supported, and I have a theory, sort of, about why we see so many, why we see so many biopics and like historical dramas about black people. I think a big part of this is wrapped up in the idea that Hollywood. If we start from the position that Hollywood is risk averse, right?、Mm. Like they make, they reboot things all the time, they、totally. remake everything. It's like there are not a lot of properties, old black properties, right, for them to sort of mine. But there are sort of seminal black figures that you can say, like everyone knows knows who Ray Charles is, right? Everyone knows who Muhammad Ali is, right? You can make movies about those people, right? Those they sort of function in the same way that like a reboot of, you know. 
Miami Vice as a movie. You know what I mean? It functions sort of the same way. You're playing on sort of something that is in that people sort of understand that is a known quantity, right? It's a known commodity. Nostalgia. And, right, exact. Nostalgia and just uh, brand awareness, right? Like, you know this. I mean, obviously, I think there's larger structural forces at play here, but I think some of it is just rote Hollywood cynicism. Like, okay, well, everybody knows who Martin Luther King is. You know what I mean? The Martin yeah, Luther King movie think- is an easier lift than, say, a movie about, as Ava has made, like sort of small movies about mm. a bunch of black people who are just people living their lives, right? But I think what is exciting is that whatever sort of it took to have this happen, like the fact that you've had an independent director take over a movie like this that's mm. a, a big movie, um, I think she does bring a totally different sensibility to it as a filmmaker than a conventional Hollywood director to make this kind of movie would have made. Yeah. The cinematographer of the movie is Bradford Young, who I believe shot Middle of Nowhere too, and also this other really fantastic independent film called A Most Violent Year, which is out right now, which is about 1981 New York, and it has Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain as kind of a Brooklyn couple that are trying to hustle in the middle of like a crime-ridden New York. It's shot in a really moody, grayscale, everyone looks really shadowy, and it's a really cool-looking movie so it's very indie so I think the fact that she's brought lots of that indie DNA to Selma I think makes it a really interesting movie because I think the alternative is The Butler which is a very more conventionally filmed conventional swelling music Mm -hmm. like characters are very much broad paint you know broad brush strokes and I think you don't have that here which I think is why you have kind of had a a, a more edgy film emerge in something that could have been a much duller one and I think that's maybe that's a good thing right it's like I I would much rather watch a movie that like uh, leaves people with reaction this is part of my big issue with biopics in general is that because they're whole thing is to sort of treat some historical figure, whoever it is, Amelia Earhart, uh, Muhammad Ali, whoever, whatever it is, with like kid gloves, right? And just like sort of deify them, beatify them. Like I, I, I would much rather see a movie that like sort of complicated the way we talk about something, even if it's just a, a, a argument about sort of LBJ's role was in the um, in the in the passages of voting rights act and then the civil rights movement, that's a, a conversation that you know a, you can see another movie not having at all. Like you don't leave the butler sort of with any a more complicated understanding of anything or more like a or more disturbed understanding of anything you just move leave it like all right well that was competent you know what i mean like and that's sort of what i think is sort of refreshing about this movie in a lot of ways is that it like that people feel like there's stakes in it you know what i mean in a mm-hmm. way that's not just like you know respectability stuff like we want black people to look good is more like let's actually talk about what this movie is saying you know i was i was thinking about when i went to go see fruitvale station um I was in the Bay Area, and all of the trailers beforehand were, um, there were three. There was 12 Years a Slave, there was that movie about the pirates, the Somali pirates. Oh, uh, then, Captain Phillips. Yes, but, mm. which I refused to see. And then um, uh, and then I think there was one for the butler. And um, and I turned to my friend, and I was like, do you think that the movie we're going to see today is about black people? <laughs> like, what do you think is happening here? You know, and it's just like, but, you know, it, it, was, it was frustrating, and I was being, you know, of course sarcastic about it but one of the frustrating things about that is that you know what you see is um not just that we have black stories about black people that are framed in the past but also that there's sort of this um container for our creativity you know so in 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 the way in which we tell our stories and so um to your point about this movie being able to bubble up by an independent filmmaker is um really i think pretty fascinating um and and i really have a lot of respect for for ava for being able to do that and to manage that you mm-hmm. know to be able to to reach that level of visibility but mm-hmm. of course you know it comes with its 
drawbacks. Well, I think the thing too is I feel like culturally we have two measures of success for movies. One is commercial success, and the other is Oscar success. Right. And I think there's a third kind of success that this movie has had: provocation and mm. making people mm-hmm. think and making people have discussions like we're having now. I think as if you looked at it not as a commercial film but as a work of art that made people think, that got under people's skin, that got enough people annoyed enough that they went and wrote columns and essays, probably edited them a few times, and, and had them published in major outlets that you've had multiple great profiles, interviews of the people involved. And again, the discussion that we're having now, I think that's a mark of success. Mm. I think that's a film that has succeeded in its own right already. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I feel like we should think about that too as part of what can be a measure of, of whether she has made it or not. Right. I agree with that. And actually, I, you know, I'm so, I'm such, I guess I'm such a softie in this way, but I'm totally excited about the kids in New York who get to get, who yeah. get to see it for free. And, you know, like that kind yeah. of thing. You know, it's, it's like definitely, um, in terms of, of how you think about success, especially when you talk about the Oscars, like I don't watch the Oscars and right. um, gave up on them after they gave Holly Berry an Oscar. For um, Monsters Ball. Lee for Daniels, Monsters right? Ball, which is... Didn't mm. they, did, Lee, was Lee Daniels involved in that movie? No, was that was not a, a Lee Daniels movie. Did he write it? Or he it? was involved with it. I think he was a yeah. producer of it. Yeah, that's all I'll say but, about that. I mean, you know, but it's like, okay, so you give Denzel an Oscar for Training Day and then you give a Holly Berry an Oscar for Monsters Ball, which is, she's like the worst in it. She's mm-hmm. like the worst country black woman you've ever seen on film. And right, you gave yeah. her an Oscar. She you has, know, like, she has what, generally speaking, you know, has the worst black scent ever. You know, like, not things we lost in the fire, which actually, I would have understood, you mm-hmm. know, but anyway. So, you know, I think in terms of that kind of success and, and that barometer, you know, it's it's interesting because I wonder how much of her audience or Selma's audience even would even consider that to be... Yeah, and I think that just speaks to, you know, where the industry is. I think people, when it's not a comic book franchise, you know, we've all learned about through the Sony hacks, the kind of pressures and choices that Hollywood sure. studios make. Yeah. Um, you know, the other alternative is, yeah, this time of year, the movie that's going to win the awards and the entire film industry press kind of becomes obsessed with this question, uh, you know, like taking bets and, and questioning who's going to win. And, and it's all about the actual amount of money that studios put in campaigns for the Oscars. I mean, it's like a political campaign. Right. Mm-hmm. How much money you pour into sending screeners, sending, right. sending advanced, you know, uh, invitations to people and all of that. I think that, you know, I guess I bring back to Beyond the Lights, which I am obsessed with a little bit, is that, is that if, you look at a, if you look at a movie that hasn't been successful in either of those ways, neither commercially nor in terms of critical, like, getting awards, you know, you make a work of art and you hope that at least it finds some audience that connects to it and likes it. Right. And it, it changes the world as they see it. And that's a mark of success. Cool. I think we also live in, like, a more equitable world when a movie that the deals with more, predominantly yeah. black characters and a black issue can also be critiqued and said it's imperfect right like it doesn't have to be like the most perfect thing ever made like it's okay if it has some questions to be raised about it because almost every film does absolutely so it's like i think to me the critiques are part of just a healthy discussion that we should be having about art that we see and that we uh digest and hopefully um you know our discussions push it further Mm -hmm. as a medium no, I was just gonna say. Now I'm gonna go see Beyond the Lights. <laughs> that's what I. That's I mean, no, I, <laughs> no. I mean, I, I'm gonna make it. It's imperative now. I mean, I feel like it's you know. 
Well, part, I mean, the thing, the other thing this is this like, podcast has been a success. Yeah, I'm gonna just put a hyperlink within this podcast <laughs> to my podcast about Beyond the Lights, which is <laughs> <laughs> where do you really have a podcast? I I, I, I tried to sort of like start experimenting with one, in large part inspired by Beyond the Lights. That oh, that's that's what is it called? It, it was called the B sides. But, but the idea, I mean, I'll just say this: a part of it's like the medium it's too. About your name, right? It's not about <laughs> right. the title. No, it's wait, not, where yeah, does this, where does this live? It's just currently on like a sound. No, we, we're, I'm definitely late. But I think the, the thing is, like, for me, it was, um, it's more like I love music so much, and it's a movie about music, and mm. it has great music in it. I mean, she's a great, cho- like, she's chosen, I love soundtracks in movies, and I think it's, like, a great throwback to the kinds of movies that have awesome soundtracks. Yeah. And not, like, just a cheesy common song at the end. <laughs> right. But, like, music yeah. used really well as a storytelling device. Right. Mm. And I guess that's also true of, like, Love and Basketball with the way she used Maxwell, right. and, like, there's lots of stuff about how she directs using music in the movie that I just think creatively is really interesting. Right. Um, And I think, you know, it's funny because, I mean, it's weird. Like, I'm clearly not the demographic that she was going for, but I became, I became like, the super fan of this movie. You are, like, seriously, like, the best champion for Beyond the Lights that I've ever... It was funny because you saw Beyond the Lights and a couple of the critics here at NPR uh, saw it, too. All of y'all came back like, this is... I love this movie. Like, that's, that was... Well, I think, I think one of the great benefits is, like, um, I was able to see it at the Toronto Film Festival, and when you see a movie at film festivals, usually... The marketing has not been created yet. There has no, there's been no discussion about it yet. There's no kind of, I mean, this, not to sound like in any way pretentious, like, oh, see a film at a film festival. But like, <laughs> the, the point is more like, if you do have a chance to see it, like, free from other people's, like, rousing, you know, like, uh, critique or, like, the marketing and the trailer, like, you just get to make your own opinion about it. And that's really nice. Like, right. in a way, it's like, as you said with watching Selma, you didn't see it. Uh, you didn't. You didn't engage with the discussion. You weren't following the tweets about it. You wanted to go in and see it and make up your own mind. And I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I think part of the problem is that, like, movies have to have a trailer. They have to have, you know, marketing. And they have to have a campaign. And they're also, like, targeted to certain audiences. So when Beyond the Lights was released, there were, like, commercials cut for, like, the hip-hop and R&B station that were, like, very much, like, promoting some kind of movie that it was not. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to see some ratchet entertainment in this movie. And that's not what it was. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not what this movie is. <laughs> right, yeah. So it's, like, a very weird question of like how do you market something and I think getting to see it without other people's opinion and getting to have your own is like I'm a big advocate for that too Nishanda thank you so much for coming thank you for having me B thanks so much for sitting with me thank you for inviting me it was really great to talk to you guys yeah we should do it again Um, this is GD of Post Bougie Um, thank you for listening Uh, how's you soon be easy our theme music is Nick's Groove by the Foreign Exchange and shout outs to our podcast producer Channing Kennedy Holler at us and sign up for our newsletter at postbougie.com.